Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Work. The Work is a podcast where Gina Kelly and I, John Sumter, talk to the brightest minds in the HR tech industry and get them to drop the facade and talk about what's actually happening. And there's no better way to continue that conversation than with today's guest. Matt Charney is one of, if not the smartest people in the business. And part of what makes him so good is he cuts straight to the core of things. I think it may be a background in film and narrative that makes him get straight to the point and makes him care about getting straight to the point. But Matt's been doing this in a variety of settings around the business for almost as long as I can remember. These days, he sits in a chair at HR.com, which is an up-and-coming, really interesting company that is going to be one of those um, overnight successes. Absolutely. And he at HR.com is their talent acquisition community leader, which seems like an awfully humble title for such a great mind. So that's as nice as I'm going to be to you. You're on. I was Matt. I, I was going to say Matt. Matt needs to send John lots of money now after that intro. So Matt, over to you. Yeah, honestly, John uh, gave me the best compliment of my career, which was that I was the best writer in the space. This was when I actually still like wrote all the time in my byline. So uh, I still use that as a pull quote on my website. Uh, so this will be number two now. Thank you, John. I I appreciate the intro. Well, you are an amazing writer, Matt. Are you getting to do a lot of writing these days at HR.com? I unfortunately am doing quite a lot of writing at HR.com, totally different than sort of what I'm used to. And so that operates on uh, basically two fronts. On the one hand, we've got like this amazing uh, thing that I didn't know about even before I joined the company where we're publishing 12 different magazines a month. Wow. So I'm looking to you know, kind of wrangle that and turn the TA one actually into kind of the, the flagship of these 12 publications. Fingers crossed that works. Uh, and then on the other side, we have a huge research team and they put out some amazing reports and stuff um, in conjunction with like an infographic, all this uh, uh, every month, I'd say. Um, so I do all the TA ones. So I just finished 7,500 words on high volume hiring and assessments uh, based off of a 749-person research sample, and uh, I get to write all that up, which is nothing but fun. That's amazing. Deb has really assembled a powerhouse while nobody was looking. Uh, and I think that I think it's it's interesting that you found your way there. It is extremely interesting, particularly because up until the moment that she made me that job offer, I actually always assumed that Deb hated me. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, tell tell us about the career journey because you know you're you're a, you're kind of a polymath here. I mean, you you've had some really interesting. That's that how PR people say job hopper. I think is polymath. Uh, I'm using my PR words today, Matt. I know. I love it. I love it. Um, so no, I'm not a polymath. I'm just uh, you know uh, marginally employable. Um, unimath. You're a unimath. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there I, you I'm go. a human math and I know I need money. That, that's so, um, yeah, you know, honestly, I see this as kind of the next natural development in my career. Um, obviously, I did recruiting daily for a while. I took the job at Allegis, um, which was kind of my first corporate job at as their chief content officer, uh, pre-pandemic, sort of knowing that the uh, I was going into a government job, for lack of a better word. I'd burn out for long enough. I was like, all right. 
global BPO, uh, going to be pretty easy. And, and it was, it was nice, but obviously then, you know, things uh, changed and I was like, oh, why don't I go back into startups? Um, but as it turns out, fairly decent at raising money, pretty good at content marketing, just terrible at product marketing. So, um, you know, I think I could have stayed uh, certainly at Smart Recruiters, which is my most recent, like, you know, corporate marketing gig, uh, probably for as, as long as I wanted figuring something out, right? But uh, I, I vague booked uh, some comment about work. I don't even know. It wasn't, it wasn't at all precise. It was like literally four or five words, like I'm having a shitty day or, or something equivalent to that. And Deb pings me within 15 minutes of that post and said, Hey, I got a job for you. And I'm like, Oh, you have a job for me, Deb. And she sends me a job description. And I read that job description and it was as if I had written my own JD, which is, this is actually the first job I've ever taken where I haven't done that. Um, my only thought was, why does this perfect position have to be at HR.com? Um, because, I mean, objectively, it's uh, as old school as, you know, any other, you know, dated property, um, just in terms of how long it's been around, certainly the look and feel. Uh, it, it's Canadian, closely held, totally, totally different world than like high growth, Silicon Valley, all that, um, which, is, which is actually pretty nice. Um, and so the more I thought about it, the more I realized that in all my career, my reach has been limited primarily to TA and early stage tech people. Uh, a lot of that earlier career by choice, obviously. Uh, and, and my audience, therefore, has been, you know, at most, let's call it a half million. Um, minimum everything that HR.com does, thanks to the prescience of really good SEO, and just having a content and production machine there, um, I reach you know multiples of that with all the stuff that I do. So it's it's a much bigger audience, and it's actually I think the people who need to hear more of what I'm talking about than my historical preaching of the choir. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, so what are you preaching about? <laughs> Well, same stuff as always, John. So basically, um, you know, right now, uh, a lot of it within the TA space is around taking away the complexities, um, which obviously we've now added uh, a bunch more layers than have ever been before. But still think, you know, we talk about diversity uh, and inclusion kind of coming in, number one, with a bullet and number two being like AI uh recruitment process automation, big data, you know, all that stuff coming in at number two. So very, very complex, uh, you know, conversations and theoretical constructs for what is essentially making a damn hire. So um, one of the things that you discover really quickly, and one of the best parts of my job, actually, is I get to run these uh, advisory boards. And on the advisory boards, made up for membership, uh, primarily like the CHROs and heads of talent acquisition for, for major global companies, um, and, you know, we sit around and kvetch about our problems for a couple hours uh, every month. And the one thing that keeps coming up is that everyone seems to have a, a bunch of process problems and a lot of money. And the money is going towards technology without solving the, the process. And I would say also capability uh, problem as well. 
we're at a really awesome time for the recruiting profession, which as you pointed out, I have uh, been involved with for way too long, coming up on two decades, which is just incredible to me. Um, and, and that is that uh, during the pandemic, you basically had the recruiting profession turnover sans a few like high level enterprise recruiters and strategists. But if you look at like sourcers at the line level, um, you look at people running kind of, you know, general full cycle searches. These are people who are coming from either college background, sales background, they're new to the profession. And so what I think is really exciting given both the uh, demand, obviously it's diminishing a little bit in tech, but also the, the tenure, it's a chance to end mass help inculcate people with like the right practices, not the best practices or the, the coolest technology, but really like take a step back and think about how to make recruiters not use car salesmen. So I'm just curious, I think I heard you say that there's money going into tech, but is it to automate bad processes? Like no one's actually front ending this and looking at you know, the workflows and uh, help me understand. Yes. So, um, I I mean, this is a, uh, I would say endemic to a lot of the human resources function, which is to say you have a complex problem that you might not be able to solve. And then you're going to just throw things at it and hope they work. Um, obviously, uh, I, I don't make where I stand on diversity, uh, there, but it's like, let's take an entrenched sociological construct that can only be solved by demographics, legislation, and, and macroeconomics, and let's make HR responsible for it. Well, uh, you know, that, that's a little bit difficult. Um, now you have HR recruiting suddenly being responsible for a lot of stuff they're not in control over, but most importantly, they have the tightest talent market that we've seen in decades. They have no staff experience. And the general tools of the trade are, on the one hand, either archaic or outdated. Um, so your legacy systems, nothing new there. Um, on the other hand, the old data source, Boolean, junky, you know, high touch uh, sort of approach, um, that's oversaturated. Those people are hearing from the same people every time. So um, yeah, much like LinkedIn uh, kind of made people think, oh, I should be able to have every candidate in my role at X all at once. That's not a technological solution. The, te- the, the actual solution is engaging those people, right? And so I think that people are buying technologies to facilitate what can be done manually. But yes, um, everything from matching job applicants, which by the way, volumes way down, investment in stack ranking technology, way, way up, um, all the way to like onboarding. Uh, people aren't showing up on the first day of work or you know, it's becoming increasingly complex. Um, given the distributed workforce, um, that's also a communication process issue, I, I would argue. But that's not stopped an entire category of startups from you know, offering a seamless Web 3.0 onboarding experience. So at the end of the day, like send them a box of wine and, and you know, call it a day. So, so we're 25 years, by my count, into the digitization of talent acquisition. Digital Um, transformation, my favorite word. Yeah, yeah. I'll leave that. Um, The time to hire and performance of recruiting is unchanged, although we have lots more complexity. Nothing's different and nothing's better. It's just more intricate and more expensive. 
Um, and so, so that's the context into which you're driving this truck that you're driving. What's out there that's going to change it? What, what, what's out there that's going to change it? So I think that we talk about certainly issues of both like candidate experience and then you have the employer brand, like, uh, you know, that whole like side cottage of an industry there. Um, I, I think what's just going to change it is basic like trends, giving power back to the worker. The social contracts definitely shifting. And I think that all those things we talk about like authenticity, transparency, like those are those are happening now. The reason why people are like leaving their jobs in mass is because, you know, working conditions weren't great. The reason why organized labor is making a comeback. Um, is because people know that uh, they can put a collective bargaining agreement in over the objections of their employer and thank goodness for that. Um, so all that is to say, I think what's different is the fact that now candidate experience is not like this theoretical construct we sit around and discuss. It's like you do it or you're not going to make a hire because there are three potential candidates you can get. And if you screw those over, like, goodbye. So I, I do think that the recognition that recruiters and hiring managers do not have all the control um, is going to be a huge change because it's been nothing but hubris um, up until now. Who else can I see? You know, um, let's take a look at who else is out there. The same things you hear when you present a perfect candidate. It's like, eh, people know they don't have that luxury anymore. And, and I think that that's huge. And I also think that um, the shift towards retention away from external recruiting is a significant difference as well because recruiters are now starting to focus much more on building out referral programs and internal transfers, promotions, and career development. Um, so making sure that those positions stay in-house is a stance to, to retention. That allows them not only to work with a much broader swath of the employee lifecycle, but more importantly, they also get to meet people in the company. So, so I, I, I want to kick a tire here. You, 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 you repeated the, what, what I find egregious um, idea that there's a talent shortage. And when I hear talent shortage, what I hear is the 50% of the workforce that isn't working doesn't matter. The women who are not in place don't matter. And what matters is that we ha that we have an inadequate supply of penis encrusted pink people um, who um, meet very specific criteria because what recruiting has evolved to is a matching problem. And when you hire people, matching isn't what matters. Matching isn't what matters at all. What matters is is how willing are people to do the gap between what they know and what's required and what's that learning curve look like and how do you maintain the challenge in the thing? And as long as you say what we need is precise matches, yeah, there's a talent shortage. Um, if you say what we need are people who are um, capable of learning, and have some foundation for going to work and starting to learn and are right because the, the, because the places where there's a demand growing offset the places where the demand is shrinking um and and the real question is how do you move people across those hurdles right um and and i i don't see a talent shortage i, I mean, see i, I see a, a failure to match I, so I think one of the things the pandemic did, and I have to agree with you, is it, is it bifurcated the workforce between essential and non-essential workers. And I actually think the non-essential workers 
you know, white, uh, white collar software. people. Yeah, yeah, we're the, talking the, white the, collar versus white, you know, white front collar line or essential. Yeah, okay. That term. But yeah, white collar people. Um, and so uh, essentially those are easy to find, like Silicon uh, Valley uh, software developers. As much technology as you'd like to devote to them, their code bases are everywhere. Everyone kind of knows their companies, knows how to access them. It's not all that hard. And you can take that for any clustered network accountants in LA, um, you know, uh, logistics people in Texas, like literally across the board. What is extremely hard is meeting another set of qualifications, and that is on the essential worker front. And if you think about all the complexities that have evolved, workforce participation is on the decline, obviously demands both unpredictable and through the roof, have to sort of reset across industries and verticals there. And often to do that in places where the active workforce cannot reasonably meet the demands of hiring from a physical perspective, which you need there. I'll take Palm Springs as an example. Like, how would you go about hiring for a resort in Palm Springs, California? Or my friend Caleb, who, you know, is in charge of recruiting for Aspen, they've just had to start, you know, fully subsidizing employee housing um, because there are huge swaths of the country and giant industries where, yeah, there, there is a talent shortage. And that's only if we're using talent with quotation marks to mean, like people could get to Arizona State. The wheels are turning here with John. I, I, <laughs> I don't want us to go too far down a rabbit hole with this. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious, though, John, I know I've heard you talk um, about, you know, declining birth rates and things like that. Uh, isn't isn't ultimately aren't we painting ourselves into a corner that will be inevitable? I think that what we're Painting, the corner that we're painting ourselves into is that we have to figure out how to understand how to utilize the resources that we have rather than dreaming about the resources that we want. Um, and that means opening opportunity. One of the things that, I'm, that I am particularly interested in these days is once pay equity really starts to take root, the next frontier after pay equity is opportunity equity. Um, and an opportunity I mean, equity has been guaranteed since the Geneva Convention. So if it was going to happen, it would have happened by now. Oh, no, right? the, it's the, not the, in the interest of late stage capitalism. So so so, so what, what I'm hearing from the folks at the EEOC is that enforcement is a reality that will be um, in the marketplace now and that and that the new wave of pay equity conversation is uh, not theoretical, not theoretical. And, and it's how you solve first the gender gap, but following the gender gap, you're going to have to figure out how to bring people into the workforce who currently aren't. And they're generally not in the workforce for reasons of class and um, structural barrier. That's, that's because work has been located around places where the white people are and uh, the brown people have to hustle to get to those places. And then let's also not forget two things. One, the length of somebody's commute is the most positively correlated uh, aspect with social mobility. Um, also, um, you talk about expanding talent pools. Um, the fact that most like social media jobs require like master's degrees on the one hand, on the other hand, you have a BIPOC male population 
uh, over a third of whom have criminal convictions, thereby preempting them from being hired at most employers. You've got right. 50% of millennials who like could never get past the six panel drug test, myself included. Um, and, and so what, what we're doing is we are already, we're taking an already short, like, you know, the, a coming storm and we're just making it worse and, and much more complex. The other thing that I've really been honed on to recently is this idea of, of equity. Um, but but more of digital equity, which is to say it takes so much data and such high speed, like, you know, reliable broadband access to apply for most jobs now that we're running these these simulators, assessments, video interviewing through them just to get in there, that it actually preempts a huge class yeah, exactly. of people exactly. from being able to have exactly. basic access to the job economy. And it is absolutely something no one's correcting for outside the public sector. Well, no one talks about it. No one talks well, about that. We don't be talking about diversity, which <laughs> is casting as opposed to fixing the structural systemic issue that actually yeah. is creating the problem uh, to our earlier. But who fixes these issues, Matt? Because a hiring employer is not going to fix a broadband issue in Arkansas and they're not going to fix a child care issue. You know, if child care is costing me 20 bucks an hour and you're going to pay me 22, uh, you know, why am I leaving my house? So, you know, who's fixing these things? You know, I, I ultimately think that that is a question that has yet to be answered. Um, certainly Marxism Leninism didn't do it, which would be, you know, uh, redistribution of wealth is a, is a possibility, certainly. Um, but no, we, we haven't figured out a successful way to necessarily uh, solve any of these issues, which I think is, is really frustrating. But if there's one thing I think that Marx was right about, it's the, the class conflict is sort of at the root of everything. And we are positioning ourselves in a workforce that is essentially like, you know, in the time machine, uh, they had the Eloys who lived below ground, they had the ogres who lived above it. Uh, that's essentially what we're doing to our workforce right now. And um, it's really disturbing because I think the long-term implications are actually gonna lead to less, uh, you know, social, social mobility and um, probably more discrimination. Uh, writ large, we're already starting to see a little bit of backlash from our, uh, you know, singular focus on that the last couple of years. I'm glad to know the EEOC is doing it. I'd also like to point out that our last Secretary of Labor worked out a plea bargain for Jeffrey Epstein. So I'm not very confident in yeah. uh, the DOL's ability to really do much. We have um, a lot of things that are broken. There's no yeah, doubt. Yes. There's but, no you know, doubt. Obama's first act was the Lily Ledbetter uh, yeah. Act. And I uh, believe that was like uh, several presidents ago and still not a problem that has been fixed, despite the Supreme Court uh, pulling it three or four times. So I don't know. That, that is definitely taking us down a rabbit hole. I, I have a question. You've seen it all, Matt. Who impresses you across the ATS space? Ooh, I'm, I'm gonna really going to put you on the spot here. Yeah, you're going to get me in trouble. Honestly, this is going to be a surprising answer for me a little bit, but there are two companies, neither of which I actually worked for, and it's not by virtue of their suite, but by smart investors. I would say more than anything. One's iSIMS. iSIMS has done a really good M&A job of pulling in all of these like different point solutions. Some of them are like marginally valued at best if they were to be on the open market, things like candidate ID or text recruit that as part of an enterprise suite actually have a lot of power. And so I think that, you know, their ability to move to like this PE 
environment from like, you know, where they were and still be really, really smart about creating a platform play um, has, has been impressive. And, and I'm going to say the same thing about employee, um, which is, I believe, job by and jazz, um, you know, that that amalgamation there. Um, K1, who is the private equity group that mm-hmm. is behind them did a great job of putting together portfolio companies that work together. Um, very similar to like, you know, what Recruit does with, with job advertising, essentially consolidating the big players in the market. And um, I really see them growing market share really fast, um, given they now have capabilities in both of those products uh, sort of across the market that are um, pretty good. Like they're not terrible. They're not terrible. That's they're the way I hear terrible. a lot of ATSs I, I, described, you know, by not, the way. They're not EDP. You know. <laughs> it's not terrible. Well, I know we're almost out of time, guys. Uh, John, do you have any closing thoughts you want to share with us or perhaps one more question for Matt? Yeah, let's let's ask Matt one more question. Um, so so you've, you've got access to this broad array of audience now. What's, what are the two or three things that are driving them crazy? Yeah, um, I think that one of them is related largely to um, just resourcing challenges strictly because, you know, you have this huge kind of hiring boom. Uh, they are hiring recruiters as fast as they can. They can't train them. Uh, as quickly as they'd like, and their budgets aren't necessarily being allocated towards you know what they love. So uh, I, I just think lack of resources is continuing to be one. Um, number two is definitely around uh, basic like I don't want to call it AI because it's not. Um, but the thing that's driving them really, really crazy is this whole um, NLP, you know, automation mm-hmm. paradigm whereby they are trying to look at platforms um, as, as process replacements as opposed to augmenters or extenders. And there's just a whole lot of confusion because this has been so manual for so long. And I'd argue that even legacy ATSs are highly manual. And I, I think that the third thing is really the realization that jobs are really, really a formula. And that um, you kind of have to be looking more than a just-in-time fill. And so I really just see across the board, and this is even with EA, companies are really starting to retrench and say, how do we keep, to your point, how do we keep, develop, and um, continually promote our people as a first step rather than something that they have to be proactive about? And, and so I think that... Um, full-time salaried employers are getting a much better deal out of it. At the same time, I think that HR is starting to rediscover that human part in human resources and um, are entrenching by actually building some business relationships, which is nice to see. Um, Unfortunately, what's not on the top of their mind is uh, information security or data privacy, uh, but maybe that. Oh, they also talk about the metaverse nonstop, which is... Really? (laughs) I just did a uh, uh, diversity awareness training in the metaverse. And you know what it was? It was diversity awareness training wearing a headset. So, uh, yeah, but that's that's a huge and hot area right now. Wow. 
That's interesting. Okay, you've just given us a topic for an upcoming uh, upcoming episode of the work. That's interesting. Uh, well, Matt, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I know how busy you are, so thanks for making the time for us and for our listeners. And um, how do people get in touch with you? And how do they learn more about HR.com? Well, uh, the URL is quite hard to remember, but, it, but it's HR.com. <laughs> <laughs> and that would uh, be an H and an R. Got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, no. Uh, and for me, the best way to reach me is uh, my first initial last name, M Charney at HR.com or at Matt Charney on Twitter. Uh, I'm generally very responsive. The worst way to get in touch with me is email or Facebook Messenger, just uh, as a caveat. So, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I really appreciate the time. Um, please, both of you, let's not have it be so long before I see your lovely faces again. Fantastic. Agreed. Thanks, Matt. This Thank you, Matt. This right. is the work. Yeah. Thank you. Bye now.